0: It's Krista Bontrager, and I'm your tour guide this year as we go through the Bible as part of the Route 66 campaign for Grace Church of Glendora. This is the Points of Interest podcast, where we preview this week's reading and get you ready to get into the Word of God. Are you ready? Here we go! This week we'll be finishing up Deuteronomy, we'll be starting in chapter 14 and ending the week in chapter 34. Give yourself a big pat on the back at the end of the week. Once you get through the book of Deuteronomy, you will have tackled one of the more difficult sections of Scripture. Even if you weren't able to read every word or understand every word, just getting through it is a huge accomplishment. And just to refresh our memory about what the book of Deuteronomy is about, it's a restatement or a retelling of the Mosaic law, but for the second generation, the wilderness generation, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And so there is a restatement of the law for them. So we're starting out the week in chapter 14. By this point, you know, we've been reading through the law for the better part of five or six weeks. You might be seriously contemplating a tow truck experience because even I am growing weary of all of these laws but this is going to have a really good point when we get to the book of Joshua so just try to hang in there we're in the home stretch now so let's just try to stick with it and get to the end of Deuteronomy and see what we can learn along the way we get to chapter 15, kind of some interesting things there happening, talking about uh, the year of forgiving debts and also freeing slaves. And just a couple of quick points here. One of the themes that's going to continue to come up this week are God's provisions for the poor. And you might want to take note of that because they're very interesting, the ways that God provides for the poor. And He cares so much about the poor that he builds those laws right into society from the beginning. Just a couple of examples here. You know, if a poor man is among you in any of the towns in the land that the Lord is giving you, do not be hard hearted, it says in verse 7, or tight fisted toward your poor brother. Rather, be open handed and freely lend to him whatever he needs. What's interesting here is that God differentiates between the poor and the debts of the Israelites that that he calls brothers versus the alien or the non-Israelite that lives outside of God's covenant community. God's people are called to be generous to one another. And even if you have a servant or a slave that you release during this seventh year, when uh, when there's this release of servants, you're not to just to say, okay, you're free now. You're supposed to give liberally to this former slave that you give him some flocks and uh, your threshing floor and your wine press. In other words, you're giving him a way to make a living. God's provision for the poor is not to just feed them and clothe them. Rather, it's to provide them with a way to make a living and to sustain themselves over the long haul. Very fascinating precursor there at the end of chapter 17 about a king. And it serves as a cautious reminder of the pitfalls of crowning a human king. And we will revisit this theme When we get to the book of 1 Samuel, when the Israelites demand from Samuel that they want a king, that they want to be ruled like the nations that surround them. But here's a little foreshadowing of what's to come, of the kind of life that Israel will have when they crown a human king, because really that king is replacing God, who ought to be Israel's king. One of the interesting legal provisions that is in this section in Deuteronomy, I think is at the end of chapter 19, starting at verse 15. It talks about the use of witnesses in a court of law. And what's interesting to me is that one witness is not enough to convict a man accused of a crime. Again, God is making provision for a just society. A malicious witness, a witness who bears false testimony, will not be accepted in a court of law. There have to at least be two witnesses in order to make a conviction. This has an important New Testament connection. If you remember the passage in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is recasting this section of Scripture for the New Covenant Church. In Matthew chapter 18, there are some provisions about what to do if a Christian brother or sister sins against you. And if you look at Matthew chapter 18, starting at verse 15, it says, if your brother sins against you, go to him and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. What Jesus is doing here is taking this Old Testament principle of a just society and then recasting it in a more universal sense for the New Covenant Church. Going back to Deuteronomy chapter 20, we'll read about some provisions for what to do when the Israelites go to war. And one of the things I wanted to point out is, again, how God is creating a society that will stand out from the nations they will be distinct and holy people just one example here when the Israelites go out to war the first thing they are to do is to offer peace this would have been unheard of in the ancient world In the ancient world what they would have done if if one country goes to war against another country the offer of peace really would have been uh, extortion or intimidation pay me some tribute tax and I won't kill you but in this case, God says the first offer should be an offer of peace. If they accept and open their gates, then all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and shall work for you. Now, in our modern society, this sounds very cruel and mean. But again, in the ancient world, this would have been seen as very gracious. Now, if they refuse to make peace, then you can engage them in battle and God will deliver them into your hand and You may kill the men, but as for the women and the children and the livestock, these are for your plunder. Now, again, this sounds to our modern sensibilities quite cruel, but God makes provision for how to handle marrying women that are captured. They're not to rape them or disgrace them, which would have been very common practice in the ancient world. And even today of a, ca- of a captured people, you, the purpose of the women is just to rape them and use them. God, again, sets up a provision of how they are to deal justly with captured women later on in chapter 21. So the lesson here is, as you're reading these laws, we have to be very careful not to read them always through 21st century eyes. It helps to do a little research sometimes into the ancient world and to understand how these practices would have compared with other cultures' practices that would have been surrounding Israel in the, in the other countries. Then we get to a very important section in chapter 28 the blessings and cursings. Any covenant in the ancient world that was between a king and a vassal, where the king promises to take care of the vassal and the vassal promises to do favors for the king, any covenant of that kind in the ancient world would have included a section of blessings and cursings if you follow all of these decrees here are the things that i will do for you if you do not follow all of my commands here are the things that will happen to you that will be harmful to you this section in particular has led many scholars to call the mosaic covenant a conditional covenant if you obey my commands if you fully obey the lord your god and carefully follow All of the commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations in the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. However, in verse 15, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all the commands and decrees I am giving you today, all of these curses will come upon you and overtake you. This is a very sobering passage, and we will see in the coming books that are to follow how this all plays out. And eventually God does bring curses, many of these curses that are specifically listed here, onto Israel because of their persistent disobedience. And he keeps his covenant curses just as faithfully as he keeps his covenant promises what we have to remember, however, is that we live under the New Covenant, and the New Covenant has different stipulations than the Mosaic Covenant. So while the Mosaic Covenant was conditional, many scholars would say, the New Covenant is an unconditional covenant. So we'll talk more about that later when we get to the New Testament, but it's just sort of a, uh, an important distinction between the covenants there. So then we get to chapter 29. They renew the covenant. Uh, They accept the covenant. They say, yes, we can do it. We can obey. We are ready. We are ready to turn to the Lord no matter what. And then Joshua is named as the successor to Moses. And it says that Moses wrote all these things down. And then finally, there's the song of Moses toward the end, which is a nice little summary of the whole covenant in a song format. And this is all ramping up to the end of Deuteronomy where Moses goes to die on Mount Nebo. He looks out over the promised land at what Israel is about to go and possess, knowing that he will not be part of that effort. And then finally he dies in chapter 34 a note to leave with you on that in the death of moses moses is a revered prophet he is looked at as being the almost the supreme prophet up there with elijah in the old testament and yet he's also a sinner the whole reason moses can't go into the promised land is because he disobeyed at, back in that in the wilderness where we saw that he struck the rock rather than speaking to the rock. And I think that why this is here is to remind us that even Moses, as great of a prophet as he was, being able to work wonders and miracles in the name of the Lord, being the one who was entrusted with the law of God, even this great man was a sinner in need of a savior. Someone better than him, a better prophet, a better mediator with a better sacrifice, who was a better priest and had a better priesthood. These are all the things that will be fulfilled in Christ. And so even as wonderful and a godly man as Moses was, he was still a sinner. He was still like Noah. He was still like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of these great men of God were also sinners. Moses was a sinner. He was not allowed to go into the promised land, that thing that he had led his people so faithfully to get to that moment. Imagine him standing on that hill, looking over into the promised land, but knowing that all of the work had led up to his this moment in his life, and yet he would not be part of the effort to possess the land. What a humbling experience that must have been. And yet, It was to point forward to Christ that he would be the one who would be even better than Moses. Next week, we're going to launch right into the book of Joshua. Make sure to pick up the next installment in your Route 66 study companion. It's called King Me, and we're going to be going through some exciting times with the Israelites and Joshua and Judges and Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and going to be a lot of territory that we're going to cover in this next unit. So you're going to want to have that study companion with you and ready to go. Well, that's it for this week. I want to thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. Until then, God bless.